0: Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. The first session uh, that we had together with our launch team Uh, Instead of talking about the technicalities of how do you start a new church, how do you reach lost people, how do you do evangelism, um, what are the challenges we're going to face in the Vernon Hills area and Lake County as we try to start a new uh, diverse church, we broke up uh, between men and women and asked the question, what are some of the milestones uh, in your lives that have really shaped you to be who you are today? Um, We assigned uh, a few articles for everyone to read, but that was the simple question. Uh, What what are some significant events or stepping stones uh, that you have experienced since your birth till now uh, that you would consider events that have really shaped you? And without fail, as we spent that entire morning uh, pulling off our masks, um, not caring who's what position or what title, just as simple men and women. Uh, Without fail, each of the stories included episodes of great heartache, uh, pain, uh, loss, and how that really profoundly impacted each and every one of our friends there at the retreat. And yet, at the same time, how God used those difficult events, we would even label ugly events, to really see the hand of God come and begin to restore and heal us. And I share this because as you look at the opening of this passage, you have, and the first thing I want to talk about is a search for beauty. Beauty. Here is Jesus with his disciples, and in verse 1, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, as we begin our passage, and as we think about our lives, and we think about that question, what are some of the uh, major stepping stones in our lives that have shaped us to be who we are We cannot dismiss the experiences in our lives that have been very ugly, that have been things that have broken us. Here are these disciples and Jesus walking along an ordinary day, and they see a man who was born blind from birth. Their question to Jesus, and I'll talk a little bit more about this in my last point, was their way of trying to make sense when they encounter something that really didn't sit right physical disease, a man who was never able to see, probably begging his entire life, suffering in that physical darkness, they were trying to search for an answer. And I would like to label that it was a search for beauty. We're not talking about just the physical kind of beauty, but we're talking about answers that explain the brokenness and the pain in our lives that we find all around us. And I believe that God has put that desire in our hearts, a desire to find beauty in every aspect of our lives. I believe it is innate as human beings because there is so much brokenness, there is so much pain, so much disappointment. Things are not the way that we feel they ought to be. Whenever we encounter injustice or sin, disease, ugliness, pain, when we get hurt by other people, when we experience hopelessness, it affects us and immediately causes us to begin to search for truth, for answers, for understanding, for light of what I'm calling beauty. Think about this man's situation. All of his life, he lived in absolute darkness and was very Important about this man is that he wasn't born with sight and gradually lost his sight. But from the day that he was born, not a ray of light entered into his eyes. He couldn't see. He was born blind from birth. He never knew what his mother's face looked like. Things that we take for granted, a sunset, the birds, the trees, the ocean our friends, what our food looks like. And in particular, in this time and culture, it was a great tragedy because people attribute this physical illness, this disease, this brokenness in this man as a result of some kind of sin. To them, God's hand was against this man's life. He was being punished for something he had done or maybe his family. I wonder if you were to probe this man's brain and some of his inner thoughts throughout his life, what kind of questions would arise as he thought about his situation? Why was I born blind? What in the world is the purpose of my suffering? What should I really live for? Am I just going to beg and eventually die? Is that the meaning and purpose of life? Darkness, confusion, purposelessness. And I believe that his physical situation of blindness was indeed a reflection of his inward reality of utter darkness and emptiness inside. I believe that whether we are churched or unchurched or the term that I've recently come across, de-churched, believer or unbeliever, we're going to want to find beauty in our lives. Dr. Morehead, a professor in Northeastern Illinois University, several years ago, wrote 250 of the best-known philosophers, scientists, writers, and intellectuals of the past century and asked them one question, what is the purpose and meaning of life? And he would publish these answers in a book. And it was very depressing to know that not one of them really knew the answer to this. As brilliant and as educated that they were, did not have a real answer. And many of them asked, I'm not really sure. When you find out and write the book, let me know. It was a bright man, Isaac Asimov, who wrote, as far as I could see, there is no purpose in life. How can you live life if indeed that is the answer? We indeed live in a world no different than what the disciples encountered. The physical reality of sin and hurt and pain in this man who was born blind from birth. Kathy and I, uh, these past six months, have been renting a, an apartment, a little townhouse in Vernon Hills as we left the city in anticipation to try to get to know our community uh, with the start of our new church. And we were so excited Uh, in many ways, though we love the city, um, to find a little bit more space, less congestion, parking spots, and all the things that come along with suburban living. And that first evening when we moved in, we are so excited. Uh, We found out that we had um, some very interesting neighbors living right upstairs. Uh, Basically, young teenage siblings who lost both of their parents, uh, adoptive parents, six months from each other uh, just last year. And they were living without supervision, without any authority in their lives. They were purely nocturnal. I swear we didn't see them at all during the day. And as soon as darkness hit, um, they would wake up at about 11 p.m. and party all night uh, three four five times during the week and could you imagine with two little kids that we have trying to live like that we said it's gonna get better it's gonna get better and it was just recently when we heard the girl literally screaming uh, because their bedroom was right upstairs above ours screaming and saying get off of me stop hurting me as her live-in boyfriend was beating her up and uh we tried to ignore it and lord Please give him some peace so that we can sleep and set a prayer and try to ignore the situation. But it was getting more and more violent. I was afraid for her life. And so at 3 in the morning, we had to call the police. And uh, they quieted down a little bit after that. But the very next night, they were at it again. It was a reminder, even trying to escape to this quiet suburban life, that people are broken and struggle with sin wherever you live, no matter what kind of context. And I really would like to ask you some of these questions. Have you ever had that search? Is there really a God out there that cares for me, that knows anything about me? What will happen when I die? Is the Bible really true? Why do I feel so empty inside? What am I doing with my life? Does anyone really care? I remember one couple... um, from one of the churches that I ministered in over the years who found out that our daughter was very, very sick with what they thought at the time was an incurable illness, wrote in her daily blog when they first found out, a million things went through my head. Did I provoke God's jealousy? Did I unwittingly love my daughter more than God? Was this punishment for past sins? Did I do something to anger God? Was this a test? Was he punishing me and my husband? Who did something wrong? You see, when we encounter that kind of pain and brokenness and disappointment and hurt in our lives, we cannot help but want to search for answers. And I see that as we look at even this passage. Even as the disciples were asking these questions, a search for beauty, trying to make sense out of the messiness in our lives and our world. All of us are in a search for that beauty. I see it in my two kids, um, and I see it even in my daughter. She's uh, getting ready to turn three this fall when she often wakes us up and says, Daddy, look at me. I look like a princess. And I better agree, and I do. Search for beauty. I think second thing, as we go along and look at our passage here in John 9, as we see this exchange, this interrogation that takes place with the Pharisees, they begin to question. If you look in verse 15, some of the Pharisees, 15 to 16, after they asked them what happened, verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Verses 28 and 29, they hurled insults at this man. You are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And Jesus, looking at these Pharisees, verses 39 to 41, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with them, verse 40, heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The second thing I just want to spend a few minutes on is the danger of false beauty. And the first thing is the false beauty of religion. As you are very familiar with the Pharisees who were the religious experts of the day, They tried to find beauty in their lives, in following the law, in obeying God to the fullest in their lives. And yet when Jesus looked at them and a great thing just happened, Jesus basically blasts them with judgment. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim, you can see your guilt remains. That's a very harsh statement when Jesus says your guilt remains. It means that they are not right with God. Their sins are not forgiven. And it's interesting, as you look throughout the teachings of Jesus and in the New Testament of the Bible, you find that Jesus' harshest criticisms and judgment was reserved not for people who had nothing to do with religion, but rather it was the religious. And I think it would really be good for us to examine our own lives, and our own faith, and to see how do we see our faith in trying to fulfill this aspect of trying to find beauty. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this when people say, well, I'm not really religious, but he says that everyone is religious. What is your religion? It's what you rely upon. It's what you live for. It's the hope that you have placed in. Your God is that which you give yourself, your time, your energy, your attention, your thoughts, your money. You live for it, and is that which keeps you going. The false beauty of religion. And so often we think of, for many of us, that Christianity sometimes is just another adornment we put on our lives, another layer on top of our own accomplishments, and trying to be a good, upright citizen. but When we fail to understand that religion is nothing more than trying to save ourselves, and we live a life of self-dependency, we are headed for disaster. It's very easy to look at these Pharisees and see them as the enemy, But secondly, and kind of related to this, is the false beauty of ministry. The disciples, who, except for Judas, were genuine believers. They were following Christ. They were on mission with Jesus. They were doing incredible things, hearing the teachings of Jesus himself. They recently fed the 5,000, five loaves of bread and two fish, And yet, when they came across this man born blind from birth, rather than having compassion, rather than having their hearts broken of the sin in this world and the effects of sin, they wanted to have a theological discussion to look somewhat righteous and impress Jesus. Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was blind from birth. No compassion no empathy, no genuine concern. They did not even ask Jesus to heal this man, although they knew that Jesus had that power. They didn't see the opportunity, and they did not see the broken soul before them. They were, though they were believers, just as lost as the Pharisees who were just blasted by Jesus. I believe there's a great warning there that even for those of us who truly do believe, who are devoted, who are busily living our lives, trying to live for the glory of God, that we often are blinded to our own blindness. And the longer that we are believers, and I speak this to my own heart as well, so please don't think I'm just trying to challenge you. The longer that we are involved in serving Christ and trying to please God, it's so ironic that sometimes a the times that I was busiest trying to serve God and live for his glory were the times that my heart was farthest from God. God has really begun to reveal a lot of that. of Trying to think that our lives are okay because we're trying to busily serve God when oftentimes our hearts are really far away from him. This past year, as uh, some of you were here when I shared uh, earlier in the winter, uh, heard uh, just uh, our family story and some of the difficult transition that we have been through. And in the midst of a lot of that difficulty and some of the hurt and pain and uncertainty about our future and all these things, it really has been a tremendous gift from God to, I guess, to put a good spin on it in between ministries, it's actually unemployment, but we call it in between ministries. And trying to serve God apart from a job, a paycheck, an official position, a title in a church, and being a lay person. In that sense, I mean, I'm still a pastor, but in that capacity, beginning to really experience what it means to know Him in a way apart. The formal responsibilities and to love him and serve him just because of who he is and what he has done in my life to show me the grace and mercy. One pastor out in Philadelphia who uh, passed away recently, um, Pastor James, challenges the church to think about sometimes holding on to the beauty of our own religious service rather than going back to who we are as redeemed sinners. If you have been trusting in your baptism, if you have been trusting in your profession of faith, if you have been trusting in your church membership or your knowledge of the Bible or doctrine or your generous stewardship or your Christian upbringing, If you have been trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross in your place, through whatever it is completely out of your mind, abandon it, stamp upon it, grind it down, dust off the place it lay, then turn to Jesus Christ alone and trust him only. Wow. And this is a pastor talking about what to do with these things that we pastors often desire our people to be involved in. It's not necessarily even the ministry or the service or religion, but thinking about wanting our kids to turn out well, to be healthy and happy, that's a good thing. Financial security and prosperity, that's a good thing. Job satisfaction, that's a good thing. Finding good friends, that's a good thing. Enjoying hobbies, music, having good health, those are beautiful things and good things, and even technology. And how often, I know Pastor Dave's not here, I'm sure he'll listen to this message, but how often I uh, coveted a lot of his neat little gadgets. He loves technology, and so do I. And I loved his notebook, and he told me that he pre-ordered the iPad so that he could make sure he had one of the first um, (laughs) iPads in the area. It was interesting in the New York Times this past weekend, in thinking about technology and our love for it here in the West, especially in light of the inability uh, for BP to try to stop this catastrophic oil spill. They wrote, our fix in faith and the oil spill. Americans, this New York Times article writes, have long had an unswerving belief that technology will save us. It is the cavalry coming over the hill, just as we are about to lose the battle. And yet, as Americans watch, scientists struggle to plug the undersea well over this past month it became apparent that our great belief in technology was perhaps misplaced at this time in history. We have great faith in having the technological ability to solve problems, and that faith has proved incorrect in this place. All these things that I just named, family, friendship, technology, arts, music, are good things, are beautiful things, but they can never become the most beautiful things in our lives Because if they become that, we will become disappointed. And This man would discover that as we look at our passage. And my third and final point is the power of true beauty. You think about this man who was born blind from birth. All he wanted was one thing. He wanted to be able to see. If only he could see. He thought, my life would be just right. It would be perfect. I'd be complete. I would understand the big questions that I'm struggling with in my heart. In his mind's eye, the most beautiful thing that could happen was that he would be able to have his eyes restored and be able to see all that you and I are able to see. That was his beauty. And what happened Jesus, through this powerful miracle of spitting, making mud, putting it on his eyes, go wash. He came back seeing. He got his beauty. And yet, the most ironic thing was that after he got that thing that he's been looking for his whole life, his life got much worse. And as you follow along in this passage, you see that. He became interrogated by the authorities. He was basically called a liar. His parents rejected him. You ask him. He is of age. They were afraid for their own lives. And he was literally condemned by the church of his time, the Pharisees. Basically, they said, the hell with you. When they turned and said, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then... He was excommunicated from the synagogue, which was the center of Jewish life and culture and family. Think about the irony. All his life he was looking for this beauty, ability to see, and he got it. And his life ended even worse than before he could see. And I think it speaks so powerfully as we look at John chapter 9 that we all have a beauty in our lives that we are hoping and wishing for. We make it a rescuer, a rescuer, our deliverer. If only I can get this or that or accomplish this or experience this, my life will be just a little bit better. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be fulfilled. Then I'll love God even more and know he's real. And often when we get it or we arrive, our lives aren't any much better We are greatly disappointed, and then our search turns for another beauty to pursue in our lives. What is your beauty that you are seeking for in your lives, that if you have it, you feel your life will be so much better and happier? Here we have this man who got that, and yet everything was taken away. His family failed him. His friends failed him. Religion failed him. His community failed him. He was living in isolation now, brokenness, disappointment, and pain. And the mo- most ironic thing about that is that now he was ready to experience the greatest work of God. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, they found him. Do you believe? He, he, when he found him, he said, do you believe, verse 35, in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. It was only when he saw ultimate, true, beautiful one with new eyes of faith. Jesus says, Lord, deliverer, healer, savior, king. He worshipped him. And he found that ultimate beauty that he had been searching for and thought that he would find if he could just see with new eyes of faith. He saw the face of Jesus. The Bible tells us that all the good things in life are wonderful, that we try to pursue, but the gospel tells us that Jesus is the beauty we must see. And as you think about this man and how he met Christ, it is so different than other religions or world philosophies. God doesn't just observe how we handle our pain and, and how we live out our lives. And if we are good enough or we look like we're worthy enough, then he blesses us with something. But in the midst of his disappointment and pain, Jesus seeks him out, finds him. He enters into his disappointment and pain when he was rejected by everyone else and was so disappointed with everything of life, he enters right there with him in the midst of his pain and brokenness. The man responded, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. It was Jesus who said in John 8 that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The gospel's message indeed is that until we have seen Christ, we have never really seen at all. He is the beauty that we need to see. Though there are wonderful and beautiful things in this life, until we have seen the beauty of who Jesus is, we will be disappointed, and we will find ourselves struggling alone, in our brokenness and our pain. This message is often something that I've not heard growing up. That we often preach Jesus as the Lord of our lives, and he is. But to see the Christian faith In the eyes of seeing Christ as the most beautiful one in this world and in this universe. And to find our lives and hearts strangely warmed and transformed as we become more and more attracted to him in his righteousness, his perfection, his compassion, his mercy, his authority, his lordship. when we begin to truly grasp the implications of the message of the Bible, what God has done for us in Christ, the beauty of Christ will begin to transform us because that which we gaze at, spend time with, think about, we become like, whether as individuals or as a body. And for those that find themselves not really there yet, and struggle, and look at all these spiritual giants in this room at Harvest. Do not despair, for even this man in John 9, even after experiencing a powerful miracle of God, still it took time for him as he suffered and battled these Pharisees and rejected by his family in the synagogue. And finally, through a journey and a process, step by step, he then came to understand who Christ was. You may not feel that you're spiritually right or fit or there, but understand that none of us are really that spiritual and understand that that gradual transformation really reflects a God a step-by-step at work in your lives. In trying to start a new church, we want so much to see uh, lost people, hurting people, uh, hear and experience the gospel I've been, uh, as I shared with you several months ago, trying to get to know uh, one of my bankers, a guy named Michael. And, um, you know, I, we became Facebook friends. I've been following him and recently found out that he broke up with his girlfriend. I'm like, oh, now he's going to be broken, and now he want to meet with me. And I could befriend him and share the gospel. And uh, I said, you know, let, let's go out together, and I, I want to hear what happened, and how are you doing with this? You must be hurting so much. And I didn't hear anything from him. Went to the bank, didn't see him. It's been several weeks, and I started to get discouraged. Man, am I a loser? Is it because I'm a pastor? Um, why isn't he communicating? I started to really get discouraged. Um, and just yesterday morning, as I went to withdraw some money from the bank on Saturday, lo and behold, he was right there. He was the, assigned as a greeter for the bank that morning. And he felt a little bit guilty, I think, when he saw me. But I said, so good to see you, Michael for about 20 minutes, we talked and shared. And he knows uh, who I am and what we're trying to do and what I would like to see in his life and all these things. And all I began to communicate is, I'm here for you, Mike. And he said, oh, that's great. I'm going out with a new girl now. (laughs) I guess everything is fine and dandy in his life. It takes time. Little disappointments, struggles. But bit by bit, I believe God is at work, not only in this man's life, but in yours and mine. I haven't been a father for too long, but ever since my kids were uh, born, and though they are still young, I realized that our kids can teach us a lot of wonderful things. I remember uh, my close friend, Paul Kim, who I believe spoke maybe one or two retreats ago here from Philadelphia. While we were in Miami, uh, with Pastor Dave and others, and he shared a wonderful story that I never forgot as he was trying to teach his youngest son uh, how to pee correctly. Excuse me for sharing that. And he said, Caleb is sometimes messy with his peeing. I get frustrated and scold him. Be careful. And sometimes Paul says, I whisper, but I will always love you. Then he says, but, and his son said, but I should be careful when I go potty. Daddy doesn't like it when I'm messy. Yes? Daddy doesn't like it when you're messy, but Daddy will always love you even when you are messy. Is that not the heart of this great gospel that we have? It was the Apostle Paul that said, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. My friends, whether you have been churched your whole life, or this is the first Sunday you have stepped foot into a church ever, what is the beauty that you are seeking for in your life? And the gospel and the Bible's message is, Take a look at Jesus, for he is the beauty that we need to see. And I pray that wherever you might be at this morning, in your search for beauty, that you would take a step back and look to the cross and the face of the one who lived for you and died for you. And when you behold this beautiful one, I guarantee you that you will not be disappointed and your lives will be transformed. Please join me in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.